everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. My name's Jeff. I'm half of the show. Right there sitting across from me, separated by a state and many hundred miles, is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how you doing? We're still following the six-foot rule. Just six county, six, six plus <laughs> county rule. We just, we just happen to be far away, yeah. which, you know. It, it, it's it's good for our relationship, right? That's what I can say about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a great time, man. I'm, my Mariners are still playing ball, though. We went after, uh, well, we're recording this after two straight losses to your athletics. Well, well I can't say anything. The, the Mariners have owned the A's the last two years. I just, I'm going to stay quiet. But you know what? Last week we talked, we talked about the A's not being able to triple. And having set yes. an American League record for triple futility, that yes. was wiped out today. I, I mean, part of, part of it was because Jesse Winker is just an awful, awful fielder. <laughs> and the person that got credit for the triple was a, was a catcher. So Ooh. it's, uh, yeah, it's a thing. It counts. Yeah, I mean, they, they set the record now. It's, now it's up to everybody else to chase them. <laughs> that's a fun one to chase right there it's like you. a cricket game they batted first and now everybody else the chase is on so congrats gotcha. all right well let's get right into it this is first of all this is an, uh, a tales from the dugout episode so it i'm excited about this i've got a ton of smaller stories as mark does that don't warrant an entire episode so we're going to get through some of those today but before we do that mark we've got to get in uh we got to get in our stretches we got to get in some cuts it's time for bp let's do it first of all i would just like to say i'm very proud of myself been getting in in shape here for fantasy camp i took well over 100 cuts yesterday in the backyard nice not even sore today Nice. I was really worried that I was going to not be able to move today, but I've been building up the, uh, the swinging <laughs> muscles. So. I would have just anticipated it for myself. I would just say, well, tomorrow I'm staying in bed and I won't be able to push myself up. I was seriously worried, but no, I felt great this morning. It's weird how nice. exercise makes you feel good. Maybe some I've scientists should get on that. Yeah. People have said that to me. I don't know. You don't you don't subscribe to that train of thought. Just. It may be true. I just don't I don't believe in exercise for, you know, I believe in it for everyone but me. <laughs> well, let's exercise our brains here with some uh, some BP stuff. Not, you can you can kind of switch off your brains if you're listening, because this is just fun stuff. But we're going to exercise our brains here. First of all, Mark, we've slipped a little bit in our top whiskey podcast rating. Oh, no. Yeah. We, so we've slipped a little bit. We did make our debut on the Jennifer Garner list after last week's show, though. So that's, that's good. That's great. Yeah. A lot of Jennifer Garner-centered podcasts, and we are among the top of them. But I want to get back into whiskey form, get back at least to our, our number 42 standing of top whiskey podcasts. Because of this, uh, there is a company called Whistle Pig, which I am not familiar with, but they are using David Ortiz bats to toast their whiskey now. Oh, what? Yes. It, it, it is a world's first toasted baseball bat finished whiskey, which was created with a partnership with the recent Hall of Famer David Ortiz using wood from his signature bats. Oh my so gosh. this is this is how it is described. Uh, it's a hundred percent rye whiskey aged for six years in American oak 
before being finished for six weeks in barrels containing Ortiz toasted DO35 maple wood bats. <laughs> it's the, get this, it is bottled at 96.56 proof. Wow. Yeah. You're in for a good night after like half a glass of this stuff. I guess so, yeah. That is some strong stuff. So this is the description of how the whiskey tastes straight from the Whistlepick website. Quote, it offers a nose of fresh cinnamon with notes of caramel sweetness, followed by powerfully spicy flavors on the palate, with a balance of dark chocolate, maple syrup, then a lengthy finish full of vanilla and caramel notes from the toasted bats. And it's rounded off with a hint of pine tar and a little bit of tobacco spittle. <laughs> I would have thought there would be some pine tar in there. Yeah, no, I, I might have added the little the, the the last two things there. Yeah, well, a little tobacco juice is never well. It might kill somebody. Never mind. Let's pretend I didn't say that. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't know that I want to. Of course, there's no tobacco juice in this, uh, nor is there pine tar. But uh, there was more in the story. But uh, then there was an article about Dua Lipa on the beach with a picture. And I got distracted and clicked on that. And I wasn't disappointed. <laughs> uh, let's see. Throughout this, uh, this season, we have been looking back fondly at the 1982 Major League Baseball season when Ricky Henderson set the single season stolen base mark at 130. Uh, it's time for another one of those flashbacks. So through 122 games in 1982, Ricky Henderson had stolen 114 bases. John Birdie is leading the majors this year with with 30. Wait, am I I think am I missing a number somewhere? That is a 30. Yes, just <laughs> yes. 30. <laughs> that is a Ricky averaged just under 30 per month in in 82. I love stolen bases, but I'm content with the era of not stealing right now because it just means nobody's going to come close to any of his records while I'm still alive. So, well, yeah, I I don't think so. Rose rose colored <laughs> glasses for me there. Well, we would have to see some miraculous ball player. Yeah, well, and <laughs> we'd, we'd have records. to see a change in strategy too. <laughs> yeah, baseball will have to change. Yeah, absolutely. Which it will eventually, but yeah, not uh, not quite yet. Uh, time for a Lars Newbar update as well. So, did you know that Lars is the only Lars to ever play in Major League Baseball? I don't think I was aware of that. Yeah, he is also, shockingly enough, the only Newt Bar as well to ever play in Major <laughs> League Baseball. That one I would have guessed. Well, Lars, while we were not looking, has become the everyday right fielder for the uh, central leading Cardinals. Nice. St. Louis, get this. In games that Lars has appeared in this year, the Cardinals are 42 and 23. Wow. Yeah, pretty good. I think, you know, he's not hitting much, but he is a perfect three for three in stolen bases. And he had a little league home run on Sunday. Oh, beautiful. Which, of course, doesn't in the major leagues doesn't count as a home run, but it's a triple with an error that he he scored on in the same play. It works. You betcha. Go Lars. Lars, he's going to be, obviously he's going to, well, I can't say obviously, but chances are pretty good he's going to be in the playoffs this year. Yeah, it's looking pretty good for Lars. I, I hope to see him starting in the playoffs. Especially powered by the suddenly youthful Albert Pujols. <laughs> yeah, what happened? What's going on there? 692? That's his home run total now. Oh, I thought you meant his age. I'm like, no, it's not that many. Man. Oh, come on now. He's a lot younger than you are. <laughs> Yeah, but so are most trees. Okay? <laughs> Albert Pujols, as of this recording, 
He has 692 home runs. Man, it would be great to see him get to 700 this year. Boy, that, boy, that, yeah, I'll tell you what, that would be exciting. That would be something. He has said he is retiring. It doesn't matter to him. He's, oh. he's going to retire. So eight more. He's got to do it. He's got to do it. Yeah, well, that this is perfect because that leads us right into something uh, I that I'm going to talk about here in debuts. So that's a perfect segue, professional podcasting right here. Let's take a look at our debuts. This show is dropping on August 23rd, and we got a couple of good debuts that happened today. First of all, in 1985, Andres Galarraga made his debut. Wow. So what, why, how is that a perfect segue from, from Albert Pujols to Andres Galarraga? Tell me. Well, Andres Galarraga finished his career with 399 home runs. Ooh, okay, yeah. I mean, he tried. at age 43 he played seven games for the angels in 2004 and he did hit one but he did not get that 400 so close yeah but the big cat which uh texturally is translated from english as el gran gato Mm. in case you just didn't have the most basic of spanish knowledge Nickname for impressively quick reflexes and seamless defensive skills as a first baseman in spite of his large physical size, which reminds me of a certain Korean who played for the Mariners for a while. Oh, man, we did have a guy like that, didn't we? With cat-like quickness. Yes. <laughs> Dao Lee, who again, Dale. you know, went back to Korea and been tearing it up there again. Good for him. Well, hit. You know, good for him. Yeah, he can hit. Uh, Cardinals manager Whitey Herzog called him the best fielding right-handed first baseman I've seen since Gil Hodges. <laughs> wow. Uh, by the way, Andres Galarraga has stolen home more than Ricky Henderson. That's crazy. So, yeah, I know. He also has uh, multiple inside-the-park home runs, which is might equally be as crazy. He's the big cat. Yeah. Cat-like quickness. Yep, cat-like, cat-like speed as well on the base paths. Galarraga hit a grand slam off of Kevin Brown on May 31st, 1997 at the Florida Marlins Pro Player Stadium back then. Joe Robbie Stadium. It went through like 18 different names before they moved. It may be his most debated home run in history as the distance was initially measured at 573 feet. Whoa, whoa. Can he even hit a baseball that far? Obviously pre-stat cast. So yeah. it is somebody up there in the press box with a map of the stadium pointing to, I think it went there, and then yeah. <laughs> that's how they do it. It was a very scientific method that they used to use before StatCast. Yes, very, very scientific with the, with the best baseball minds on it. I remember the first time I saw that happen, I went, really? That's what I've been paying attention to all these years? You know what? That is exactly. And it was at the Mariners (laughs) was the first time I saw it in action. And I got to see the map. And I'm like, this is how this is done. And and they have like one guy who's a real expert on it. (laughs) He's like nails it every time. I was 478, 479, make it 479. And a half. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Galarraga twice named comeback player of the year, which shouldn't there be a limit on that? You would think. That's like getting the most improved player when you're 47. <laughs> or two years in a row. It's like... <laughs> no, you really improved again. That's like that's like going up and ordering two all-you-can-eat buffets for yourself. That makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I tweeted out earlier today because Joey Gallo is just 
on fire with the Dodgers. Of since course he is. Can, can you be named comeback player of the half season? Like, <laughs> I mean, the guy just, he just was not built to be a Yankee and play New York. The Yankees are having a little bit of a power outage right now. Yeah, well, he cursed him as he walked out of the clubhouse, I guess. Yeah, must have. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, let's get it. We got one more debut I want to hit. 1989, making his debut today was Hensley Mullins. Oh, man. Oh, I used to collect Hensley Mullins cards like nobody's business. Was he ever a teammate with Deion Sanders? Ooh, that's a good question. I think they, um, they were right those. around the same time. Yeah, they did. Okay, so Mullins uh, and, and Dion in uh, 1990 were both on the team. Still trying to fill that Ricky-sized hole and... In the outfield. Still still coming up short. (laughs) Bam Bam got his nickname during uh, his early teenage years when he turned around to hit left-handed in a softball game, being a right-handed hitter. He proceeded to hit a home run over the fence, and watching it in awe, his friends told him he he was as strong as the young Flintstones character. (laughs) Bam Bam. Mullins, not the typical baseball player, speaks five languages. Wow. English, Spanish, Dutch... I'm not going to try to pronounce this other one that uh, his father spoke when growing up in Curacao. And then when he went over to play in the NPB after the major leagues, he taught himself how to speak Japanese. Wow. Yeah, really smart guy. Uh, He's been a coach throughout uh, baseball. Uh, I think he's going to be a manager. His name comes up a lot to be the manager, and I think he's been managing the uh, Curacaoan team. I could see him being a bench coach for a short amount of time. Well, he has been. He's been a hitting coach. He's been a bench coach. And just eventually, yeah, getting his own team. Yeah, we can talk to everybody in their native language. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I've heard a lot of really positive things about the baseball mind he has, too. So it's pretty cool. It's impressive. I was a big fan of Hensley. He never really panned out uh, as far as those 89 Donruss, but uh, still someone to root for. You know, we really need to wallpaper a room with cards that we bought in mass in the late 80s and early 90s <laughs> that we were going to retire on. And, and obviously never you know, it didn't work out. Yeah. But speaking of impressive things with Bam Bam, April 27th, 2012, Mullins was awarded the Order of the Night in the Order of Orange Nassau by Queen Beatrix. So wow. he is officially Sir Bam Bam. Wow. I wonder how you land something like that. Uh, you probably do something important. Or oh, well, probably probably not so much important. He's a baseball player. But do something of note that brings uh, positivity towards your country. Well, maybe we can start really promoting the show in Curacao. <laughs> I, just, I just want to be a knight. That's all I'm saying. All right. Well, let's buy some, let's buy some ads and some Curacao and billboards and radio yeah and absolutely. try to get it going i'm gonna put my face on it well i don't think that's the best marketing move but we'll talk about it later okay okay uh let's see this year uh to start the season he was uh, announced he will serve as the assistant hitting coach i did not look to see if he's still there the way the yankees are hitting i don't know if they've cleaned Ooh. house <laughs> as i said he played in the major leagues japan mexico and korea All right, well, that's going to do it for our debuts for uh, this day, August 23rd. Let's let the ground screw come out and do their stuff. It's been a while, so we're due for a Tales from the Dugout episode, as I've mentioned. I've mentioned 
before that we are members of Sabre, and I'm guessing a lot of our listeners are as well. What are the many benefits of being a member? And this is by no way, no way sponsored by Sabre, unless they want to sponsor us, you know, throw some money at us. That's fine. <laughs> One of the great benefits of being a member is the archive of old newspapers you get access to. Not only do you get a complete archive of the sporting news at your disposal, which I love to just pick a random week and look through it, but uh, other regional newspapers as well, which makes for some very interesting stories. You find some are about Major League Baseball players, but some are also off the beaten path, like from the early 1900s about town teams which are equally as interesting. For my stories this week, I'm going to kind of focus on those. They're, they're pretty short, and many of them are written in iambic pentameter, which was the, <laughs> all the rage back then. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, but this Bill Shakespeare guy wrote, wrote a lot of these, but they're great nonetheless. This, this first one's a little bit longer, but it, I, it, it has to be told. Cap Anson, Hall of Famer, noted racist, he was playing and managing for the White Sox against the Giants. They were in New York for this, uh, this series, and it was getting late in the day. The White Sox took the lead in the eighth inning. At the end of the inning, Anson started to protest that it was getting too dark and the ump should call the game, which, of course, would give the, the White Sox the win. Well, the ump told Anson to kick rocks. Go grab a bat. You're up second in the top of the ninth inning. So Anson comes up to bat, and he continues to protest. You know, why are we still playing? This is, this is ridiculous. It's too dark. So the umpire tosses him out of the game. Problem was, the Sox had only nine players in uniform that day. The umpire gave him one minute to get a, <laughs> another person in uniform up there to, to hit, which obviously they couldn't do. So his spot was ruled out. So they get through that, the top of the inning. In the bottom of the inning, obviously Anson couldn't go play because he got tossed. Well, he had a friend that was sitting in the stands. So he sent him out into left field after shifting some other positions to go be the ninth guy out there. Now, I have no idea why, but this friend of Anson, who was at this game, is standing out in left field in a bathrobe. <laughs> I, I, don't, I couldn't find out. I don't know if he came to the game dressed like that or if maybe he ran into the clubhouse looking for a uniform and could only find like a White Sox bathrobe. But there he is standing in left field in a bathrobe. <laughs> okay. So the Giants are now pissed. They're protesting because the rules state there need to be nine uniformed players in the field. So now the Giants are arguing with the umpire. And this is, this is one of the favorite things I think I've ever read. This is how the paper described the umpire's response while the Giants are complaining that there's a guy in a bathrobe out in left field. Quote, the umpire declined to check whether left fielder was wearing a uniform under his bathrobe because left field was too far away. <laughs> it's just too far away, guys. He legitimate. the umpire said, I can't tell if he's got a uniform on under the bathrobe or not, and it's too far away. <laughs> so that was it. So as if this wasn't enough, that's not even the kicker to the story. After all this arguing had been going on, it had taken so long that the umpire eventually looked at his watch and said, you know what, guys? It's too late. Game's over. <laughs> that's it. The White Sox won on a, on a technicality. Because <laughs> the umpire who was the only umpire there that day, just did not want to go out into left field. Way too far to walk. 
just it's just too much. They're asking way too much. It's too much. Yeah. So there you go. There's my there's my first uh, first tale that I had to. So I was going to talk a little bit. I was thinking about my dad the other day and how he used to talk about his favorite player of all time. You know, his favorite pitcher of all time was Juan Marshall. His favorite player of all time was a guy named Gil Garrido. Gil Burrito? Garrido. G-A-R-R-I-D-O. Okay. Gil Garrido Jr., who's his father played in uh, Gil Garrido Sr., oddly enough, played in the Negro Leagues. And Jr. was a little tiny guy. He was uh, he was about my size and half my weight. Well, not half, but, you know. He was a little, little lighter on his toes than me. Um, my dad absolutely swore this guy was the greatest defensive player in history. So I, I started looking up and, and by numbers, you start wondering why does this guy have such a, a, a big pass? Well, my, I think dad was absolutely right in talking about how this guy was so good defensively that he made everyone else on the entire field better. And I got, I got some numbers here that I thought I'd go over that I thought were pretty good. He, he actually, uh, at, in 1964, he got, he played uh, 14 games with the Giants. Let's see, he hit 80 that year, but he had an on base of 148. So, and, and no home runs. And then he didn't make it back to the bigs until 68. And in 68 through 72, he was mostly a backup shortstop for the Atlanta Braves. Looking at these numbers, you know, he started off his first year, he only hit 208, but then he brought it up to 220. Had his huge year in 1970 where he hit 264 with a 290 on base, back down to 216 and 267. He was a career 237 hitter, had one career home run. I couldn't figure out if it was inside the park or what, or if it was a little league home run like we've talked about. Are you are you sure your dad isn't confusing him with Raphael Belliard? Yeah, I'm positive. I'm positive. I know the difference. All right. So, so I, then I was like, okay, let's check out his minor league stats. Cause he must've been at least a decent hitter in the minors. Right. Yeah. No, he hit better in the minors than he did in the majors, but that's not saying a whole lot. Well, yeah, yeah. He hit a lot better in the minors. Well, not a lot better, just better, but look at that 10 minor league seasons, a two sixty three career minor, you know, and in the minors and not, not horrible, but uh, the home runs, 18 home runs in the minors, though. <laughs> 18 and 10 seasons, you know, so almost two a year. You grew up in Tacoma. Did your dad grow up right. in Tacoma, too? Yes. And this is these guys, they all played for the 1961 Giants, which I was going to do the whole story on the 61 Tacoma Giants. But there's just too much to talk about. There's Willie McCovey and there's there's Gil Garrido, who, you know, we're, we're learning about today. Probably not the biggest name you've heard mentioned with with the Giants. There was a Gaylord Perry. That guy was on that team. And Marshall, as I said. Manny um, Moda, Gaylord Perry, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes, who literally nailed his cleats to the ceiling in the in the clubhouse. They're still there, I think. Because he's Dusty Rhodes. Moose Stubing was on this team. Moose Stubing. What was the other, the other great pitcher they had um, besides Gaylord Perry? Ron Herbal, who didn't have a huge career. In the big leagues, but Ron Herbal was a solid pitcher for Tacoma. Those those 61, 62, 63 Tacoma Giants, that's where dad learned. I mean, he already loved baseball, but that's where he just became completely infatuated with it. So I grew up hearing stories about how amazing Gil Garrido was defensively. And I, I thought, man, you know what? I bet not a lot of people have heard of Mr. Garrido. I think I'm going to get out there and talk about him a little bit because he's he's my height and uh, and he's 81 years old. 
and he's still alive. You know, if anybody knows Gil, tell him hi from Two Strike Noise. We thought we'd talk about one of the greatest defensive ball players of all time. I know it because my dad said so. You know, I feel like the the, the minor league teams, especially here, really missed out if they did not sponsor, you know, partner up with a burrito shack. That anytime <laughs> Gil hits a home run, free burritos for everybody. <laughs> They're Dorito burritos. <laughs> You're going to give out one in four years, one burrito. Well, no, in the minor leagues, because that's not a major league promo. That's that's more of a oh, minor well, league yeah, promo. Yeah, that's true. So Tacoma, I mean, they had to have had a couple of burrito huts somewhere around the port or somewhere at that point. Well, you know, marketing wasn't uh, wasn't than what it is now, well, you know, <laughs> with minds like ours. I mean, think about it, Jeff, you're a good marketing guy. I personally put the mark in marketing. You know, we could have run with this, but uh, we just were born in a different time. Yeah. Well, if we had a time machine now, we'd have to make a decision. Do you go back and prevent catastrophes or do you go back and, uh, you know, pitch the Garrido burrito promo to the Tacoma Giants? <laughs> I think it's obvious, which is more important. I'm not going to answer what I think. I'm leaving it, is. it there. Yeah. I'm leaving it there. We'll let, we'll let everybody else uh, decide. <laughs> but, yeah. All right. Well, I got a, I got one here. This is literally two paragraphs in this in this story, and I don't know. I can't even find a date on it. But the headline reads: California town boasts nerviest umpire in the world. That's <laughs> nerviest, not nerdiest. Nerviest. Nerviest. So uh, this took place in in L.A. And it's funny, these old stories, how they reference people and teams. I don't understand, again, the iambic pentameter that this is written in. I don't understand it completely. But apparently what happened, an umpire tossed a player from a game. I am sorry. I've read this article like 16 times and I'm still struggling to figure out. Uh, what exactly happened? It was El Monte and Irwindale were playing each other. Oh man! Didn't you have an Irwindale hat? I did. Well, they were. Yeah, they was a pretty heated rivalry. Yeah. And after a game, I guess, or no, this has got to be during it. During a game, the umpire tossed somebody. I don't know from who. If it was, it was probably those Irwindale jerks. They're always getting on my nerves. The fans, uh, especially. The umpire uh, tossed this guy. And the umpire, whose name John Hayes, tossed him, and the fans were unhappy about this. So it's just, all of this guy's described as is a rancher. Went and got a shotgun and shot the umpire during the middle of the game twice whoa. in the breast. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, that's some bad calls. I, I don't know about that. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds, I mean, it, and it is bad, but <laughs> Hayes, uh, he called time. Uh, he, he, he went over to the assailant, took away the shotgun and drove the man from the field. Now, I don't know if he was hitting him with the shotgun or if he was shooting at him. I don't know. It just says drove the man from the field. He then finished umpiring the rest of that game, but declined to officiate the next day's game. <laughs> the, the final sentence of the story says he is not dangerously hurt. Okay, okay, let, let me just say I understand, where, not where the guy's coming from because he shot him, but I understand getting driven from the field. Because if I come out with a shotgun and I shoot a guy twice in the chest 
and he grabs my gun and runs after me. I'm gone. I'm sorry. I don't care what I look like. I'm out of there. Shooting a guy twice and he comes after you? Nope, done. I, I would have been driven off the field myself. What kind of rancher is this, though, that has a shotgun <laughs> that shoots somebody twice and it doesn't even, like, you know, barely hurts him? So was it a Red Rider BB gun or what was this? It was an official Red Rider Carbon Action 200 shot range model air rifle. Well, he, he should have shot him in the eye. That's about the only way I that, think that would have done anything. Well, it wouldn't have, it would have ruined his umpiring career. <laughs> so I got I got another quick one here. I'll tag on to the end of this one. This is a, the headliner is one catcher for both teams. So this took place in Yazoo City, Mississippi. One of my favorite cities, mm-hmm. Yazoo. One catcher behind the plate for both teams for 16 innings in a Cotton States League between Columbus and Yazoo City. In the second inning of the first game of a doubleheader, the Columbus catcher was hurt and there was no one that could take his place. So the Yazoo City catcher volunteered <laughs> to play both <laughs> ends of the doubleheader as the catcher for both teams. <laughs> okay hold on i have a couple of questions how did he hit or did he hit i don't yeah i know that was my first question too he just had to swing at every pitch <laughs> but get this yazoo city won both games so I've, i'm well, thinking this was a ploy he's putting down for a slider and the guy's like i don't know how to throw a slider he's like throw it it's just, like, just throw it in here man or like you said, when he had to come to bat, maybe he singled and then he's standing on first and there's nobody behind the plate. And it probably takes the next three bases on a wild pitch. This is what I would do. I would start running as soon as the pitcher's motion starts, because then you're going to get credit for at least one stolen base. That's true. Yeah. Hey, you don't want to upset the umpire, though. Or shoot him or anything like that. Well, no, there's no so, gunplay in this. I'm just I'm giving I'm just you my saying. strategy. I'm, I, you got me worried about gunplay in, in, in old-timey baseball. <laughs> These stories are great. Seriously, if, if, if you just join Sabre just to get access to these stories, it's totally worth it. So, <laughs> well, I got one more here. I'm not going to do all. I'm not going to read all of this. But this is what I have to assume is filler in, in the paper. The headline says, Oddities of Baseball Players. They're quoting players here like Rube Marquardt and Chief Bender. So, nice. you know, we're not we're not in the, the modern era here. So we're talking about, you know, 1910s, maybe 1920s. And again, this is the way newspapers were at this point. It's called Oddities of Baseball Players. And I have no idea why this would ever be published. It's just, you know, well, you know sometimes we, well, we did a whole episode, maybe even two looking back on it, about superstitions with baseball players. Yeah. That's kind of what I would think this was trying to do. But here's a couple of them. On arising, Rube Marquardt divests himself of his pajamas before taking a cold bath. <laughs> what? What a weirdo. Who takes their pajamas off before taking a cold bath in the morning? <laughs> I, I remember doing a show on Rube. Well, yeah, we did. <laughs> we did, but the, we didn't mention that he's some weirdo that takes his clothes off before he takes a I, bath. Yeah, what kind of person does that? Yeah, well, Eddie Plank has a fixed habit of using a comb and brush in tidying his hair. <laughs> this is, there's <laughs> literally like 10 of these. <laughs> 
This is great stuff, man. So, I mean, you want to hear crazy. So when Jimmy Archer wants a new suit of clothes, he goes to the tailor himself instead of dispatching a messenger boy. Yeah, you're about my size. (laughs) He's like, I'm not bougie like that. I actually go in myself. How about this one? Uh, One of my favorites, Chief Bender, Philadelphia Athletics pitcher. In crossing a street, should an automobile approach him at high speed, Chief Bender will be sure to get out of its way. <laughs> hey, Chief, so how did you how did you play for so long? Well, I attribute it to one thing and one thing only. <laughs> if I'm crossing a street and a car is coming at me, I get out of the way. Bam. End of story. You know, it's brilliant, though, because how how long had cars really been around? So <laughs> telling someone, hey, you know what? If a car's going to run over you, what you should do is step out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That was a good move. I, I mean, there are more that are exact. I mean, just exactly like this. One guy has a strong aversion to mad dogs. So <laughs> thusly, he steers clear. Me? Me? I like to go roll around with them. It was a, it was a different time when. <laughs> when <laughs> Were there a lot of mad dogs running around? I mean, I remember like watching old cartoons and I was like con- very confused that there was going to be a lot of quicksand. When I went outside and there was never any quicksand is the same idea. There's like mad dogs running all over the place back then. You know, you said it too. automobiles were kind of new at that point. What is high speed at that point? (laughs) 20. 20. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's about what they drive on I-5 here in the in the corridor between Seattle and Olympia, about 20. Well, you know, he had a long career and I you can't prove it wasn't because of that. So No, no, so true. So true. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this Tales from the Doug. Uh, yeah, Tales from the Doug. I was going to call it something else, but I don't know what. But uh, I've got I literally now have a whole subsection of my my writing here that has got stories that I've just been plucking from the sporting news like this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, that's going to do it for that part of the show. And Mark, it is now time for everybody's favorite segment. It is time for the mano e mano. It's really a, a gladiatorial battle to the to the death with uh, with wax packs from the wax pack, the junk wax era. Uh, it is none other than wax packs. All right, Mark, uh, I kind of lied because this the, these packs today are not from the the uh, junk wax era. They're from 2000, so it's... Yeah, we're post-junk there. No junk in these. But let's take a look at the scoreboard before we get started. I am currently up on top. I am uh, leading seven wins to your five. Uh, we're going to go ahead. We're going to, uh, if you haven't listened to this before, this is how we do it. We're going to open some packs of baseball cards. We're going to take the player's baseball reference war from the year of the cards, in this case, the year 2000. We'll add those up, but there's a couple of things that we add uh, or subtract points for. So anything on the player's face, that means uh, glasses, sunglasses, eye black. You've got a scar on your eye like Luke Luke Skywalker in Clone Wars. That counts. Anything on there, that's an extra tenth of a point. If they are wearing real stirrups where we can see actual white or gold sanitary socks underneath the stirrups, you get an extra tenth of a point. See how I made that A specific? 
Uh, If they are wearing the two and ones, though, you get a minus tenth of a point because we don't like that. If you're wearing sweatbands with your jersey number or your caricature on it, that is an extra tenth of a point for each. If they played any of their final three seasons in the big leagues for the Seattle Mariners, that is an extra tenth of a point for each season. If they have two ear flaps on their batting helmet or none, that's an extra tenth of a point. And if they're batting without batting gloves, that's an extra tenth of a point. If they won an award that year, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, Gold Glove, or were an All-Star, that's a half a point award for each. If there is a Hall of Famer on the card, whether they are the focus or not, that's a whole point of war. If Ricky Henderson or Nolan Ryan are on any of these cards, if it's Nolan, Mark, you get five points. If it's Ricky, I get five points. These are uh, 2000s. So again, I think I don't need to worry about Nolan Ryan showing up. And (laughs) Mark, we're both going to pick a team. If either of us draw the other's team, uh, we're going to get a half a point of war. So uh, who do you want to go with today? Who's going to be your team? I I wish I could pick the umpires because, you know, we're talking about them. I'm on umpire and, stories today, yeah, on my end. That's yeah, that's my that's that's on me. And well, in this way, I want to talk about Beans Reardon eventually. So you know, you can well, wasn't he in the, uh, the 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 best friend in Even Stevens? Beans. <laughs> Beans. I believe you're right. I know. I know. I'm right. I was a big Even Stevens head. I don't know what <laughs> you're, fans you're giving away. You're giving away a lot of information, man. <laughs> uh, never mind. I'm going to go with the Baltimore Orioles. How's that? Oh, great. I just watched them beat the uh, Red Sox tonight in the Little League game. We're recording on Sunday. Now you know. Uh, All right. So if you're doing the Orioles, you know what? Screw it. I'm going with the A's. Okay. I mean, you don't just take a a series from the Seattle Mariners and not deserve to be picked in Wax Packs Heroes. All right. I got two packs here, Mark. There are only eight cards in these packs. Uh, Tops is getting a little stingy at this point. So uh, only eight cards each. I've got one on my left, one on my right. Which one would you like? You know, I've been, I, I mostly go right here, but I've been, I, I, I'm not just trusting that anymore. So I, I think I'm going to change things up. I'm going to go right again. Okay. <laughs> I put down the other pack and now you're going <laughs> to, uh, it's, it's what I get for trying to figure out what you're, what I think you're thinking. All right. I don't even know. Uh-huh. All right. So these are uh, 2000 tops. So let's. See what we got here. Maybe there's a Nolan Ryan tribute in there. Somewhere. Oh, you know there could there are. Um, it says there's Hank Aaron and Mark McGuire inserts. So we'll we'll see. It's a possibility. All right. Uh, wow. Speaking of the A's, not a member of the A's here, but uh, he is the bench coach for the A's this year. And since Katze got uh, tossed today, he was managing the A's uh, for a while. He also managed the Tigers for a bit. It is, and here he is catching for the Tigers. It's Brad Osmus. Oh, that's Osmus. Wow. <laughs> now, I can, uh, I am confident enough in my manhood that I can say I think Brad Osmus is a very attractive gentleman. I can't see the picture, but I'm sure he is. He, he was always uh, a very good looking gentleman. Uh, nickname is Oss. Why wouldn't they just call him Awesome like you did? That is, he could come out to the Mrs. theme. There's a lot of stuff. Why do people not come to us for these ideas? I mean, we had the, the burrito idea. We got the, the Osmus idea. I mean, uh, Brad Osmus, 18 years wearing the tools of ignorance. That's uh, wow. pretty impressive. At age 41 in the 2010 season, this was his final year. He played 21 games with the Dodgers, all of them behind the plate. At 41 years old, wow. he was still strapping them on every day. 
let's see. Most of his career of the 18 years, 10 was spent with Houston, four with the Padres, three with the Tigers, and the final two with the Dodgers. In the year 2000, 150 games. He was the everyday catcher, obviously. He hit 266, seven home runs, 51 RBI, 11 stolen bases. This was the fourth wow. of four years where he stole double digits consecutively. Wow, that's impressive, man. Yeah. I, I mean, he's kind of a spring chicken. 102 career stolen bases for Brad. Wow. Uh, let's see, a 357 on base, 365 slugging, and that is good for an 89 OPS plus, and that will equal a 3.4 war. Very nice. Yeah, good defensive catcher. Nothing on this card is going to help you out. Uh, but a 3.4 is is a good way to start out. Not going to argue with you. Five-time league-leading catcher in fielding percentage. Also led the, twi- the league twice in range factor and percentage caught stealing. And won each in putouts and assists. So, yeah, a wow. really good catcher. I don't remember him being that. I mean, I remember him being good. But, man, I wouldn't mind to have him on the team. Yes. Uh, also uh, been inducted into the National Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. Very nice. So... In 2001, I mentioned a member of the Jewish Hall of Fame. In 2001, he did not play on Yom Kippur. Uh, he said the reason he wasn't is he was trying to atone for his poor first half. <laughs> All right. Your next card is, oh, this guy was really good for a good deal of time. Here he is with the White Sox, who I remember him most with. Wearing eye black, it's Maglio Ordonez. Yeah, Maglio could hit. Mags, I remember. That's what uh, what Hawk used to call him all the time. 15-year career, eight with the White Sox, seven with the Tigers. Good news for you, in the year 2000, he was an all-star, got MVP votes, 153 games. He hit 315, 32 home runs, 126 RBI, 18 stolen bases, a 371 on base, 546 slugging, and a 127 OPS plus led the league in sacrifice flies with 15, and that will equal a 2.7 war. Okay. Plus the all-star, so that's 3.2, and he's got eye black, so that'll be a 3.3. Not bad. No, I'll take that. Maglio, just a, a solid career. The guy could hit, and eventually uh, he became mayor of uh, a small municipality in Venezuela. <laughs> well, that's good. Usually when we, when we read about them, and they get into politics after baseball. Uh, we usually just don't read it aloud because it usually doesn't end well. Right. <laughs> they, you listeners would be surprised the number of things that uh, we cut as we're reading <laughs> what happens to them after baseball. Because, yeah. Well, there is a thing here that says he was a supporter of Hugo Chavez. So. Right. I left that out. <laughs> I intentionally didn't mention Hugo Chavez. Or we're going to end up on the top socialist uh, all time. We're big in Venezuela, regardless. We're going to be Venezuelan podcast. Well, well, I think we're going to be a socialist podcast. I'm pretty sure that uh, that uh, Andres Galarraga was from Venezuela. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, Andres is from Venezuela, and I remember that because when he was uh, when he was on the Hammers when I was there, and he was with the team. There was always a Venezuelan flag hanging up, and Venezuelan radio would cover many of the games there because he was so popular. Oh, nice. So, yeah, there we go. Again, podcasting professionally here, tying it back together. All right, you're at 6.7. Next, you have got a season highlight card. This guy is not in the Hall of Fame, but he's got a strong case. He spent his entire career in Colorado, though, and that is going to be something that's definitely going to hurt him. It's Todd Helton. Yeah, one of my absolute favorite players of all time. 
Big Todd Helton fan. Add that to the, the list of the 700. No, there is no more than maybe 350. <laughs> now, I remember Todd Helton because he played, I think he was the quarterback for the University of Tennessee uh, when he was in college. And I remember they played Washington State when I was there. And I I think that was the Ryan Leaf era. I think it was because uh, Bledsoe was there my freshman year. I think this was the Ryan Leaf right. time. But uh, let's see, the 17 years in the big leagues, as I said, all of it with Colorado, a career 316 hitter, career 414 on base. Mm-hmm. which is higher than Ricky Henderson. Wow. That is very impressive. Plus a career slugging percentage of 539. He ended up with 369 home runs for his career. You're going to love this 2000 season, though. All-star, he came in fifth in the MVP validating. He led the league in hits, doubles, RBI, batting average, on base, slugging, OPS, and total bases. Let's see, 59 doubles, 42 home runs, 147 RBI. He hit 372, 463 on base. That's Barry Bonds-like. A 698 slugging and a 163 OPS plus. That equals a war of (laughs) 8.9. Wow, that might be the highest we've ever seen. That's a heck of a score. Wow, okay, so plus he was an all-star, so that's 9.4. Nothing else on this card is going to help you out, as if 9.4 wasn't enough. I've scored 9.4 during an entire game with 14 cards. Well, I I guarantee you I've scored much less than that, uh, (laughs) since I was almost at a zero or a negative number one time. So, so, you know what, I decided not that long ago that I was going to really try and support Todd Helton for the Hall of Fame. I think he belongs there. I, I, you know, if you say Todd Helton doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame because he played in Colorado, does that mean no one who ever plays for Colorado should be in the Hall of Fame? They're a professional baseball team. Why not? All right. So I pulled up Todd Helton's career splits here, home and away. Home, he's hit more home runs at home. That's not surprising. He had 227 at home. He had 142 on the road. So yeah, it's like a 66-33 split-ish. Uh, let's see, hit-wise, though, 1394 hits at home, 1125 on the road. That's pretty close. Yeah, that's not bad. So at home, that's good for a 345 average. On the road, a 287. On the road, still a 386 on base and a 469 slugging. So, I mean, definitely he's being helped by by cores, but those are yeah. still good numbers. Yeah, I'm not going to And who of us hasn't been helped by cores at some point in our lives? <laughs> let's hear your how did cores help you. <laughs> All right, next, uh, let's see here at 16.1. Next, you have got a Cincinnati Red. It is third baseman Mark Lewis. Mark Lewis. Oh, wow. I For some reason, I don't remember him as a Red. That's weird. If this is the Mark Lewis, if that's who I think it is, I think of him as Cl- uh, Cleveland. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. So Mark Lewis came up with Cleveland in 91. He's yeah. been 11 years in the big leagues, five with Cleveland, three with Cincinnati, and then one scattered throughout the country. Let's see, in the year 2000, he split it between Cincinnati and Baltimore, ended up with a 253 average, two home runs, 24 RBI, and a 77 OPS plus. And all of that is good for a minus 0.5 war. Yeah, that one, uh, that one hurt. He does have some sunglasses on, though, so that'll be only a minus 0.4. But does he get out of the way of speeding automobiles is the question. I don't know. I, don't, I feel like not everybody has that innate sense yeah i don't know i mean you you certainly learn uh quickly 
1995, he hit the first pinch hit grand slam in postseason history for the Cincinnati Reds against the Dodgers. Nice. Okay, you are at 15.7. Your next card, this is a good, this is a, a sideways card. I got to turn it sideways because there's somebody sliding into second base. I cannot tell who. It looks like it's a member of the Orioles. I think I see some orange on the trim there, but I can't get a number or, or anything. Uh, you're going to like this because this guy wore glasses all the time. It is, uh, here he is with the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks is Jay Bell. Oh, absolutely. Jay Bell, I think of first with the Pirates. Yeah. But he was on the, obviously he's on the Diamondbacks when they won the World Series here. Jay Stewart Bell. Let's see, 18 years in the big leagues, eight with the Bucks, five with the Diamondbacks, three with Cleveland, and then a year apiece with the Royals and the Mets. In the year 2000, everyday second baseman for the D-backs, let's see, hit 267, had uh, 18 home runs, 68 RBI, and a 94 OPS plus. I don't know, I go into like a Karnak voice there for some reason <laughs> and then it's good for a point eight he has got glasses on and uh, that's gonna be the only thing that's gonna help you but that'll be a point nine. Point nine sure beats my last guy it's a yeah. negative half let's see jay bell 265 career hitter 91 stolen bases it's really interesting to me how some of these guys are are, are close to if not over 100 stolen bases when i just don't think of them as uh, as stolen base guys yeah, yeah I've I kind of been surprised by that during wax packs as well. Last uh, last guy, Mark Lewis, hit the first postseason pinch hit Grand Slam. Jay Bell's first AB was uh, against somebody he was traded for. It was against Hall of Famer Burt Blylevin. Hit a home run on the first pitch he saw in his career off a of future Hall of Famer. Very nice. Uh, I, guess, I guess last year he was the manager of the Rocket City Trash Pandas, who uh, we're engaged in a lawsuit against because that was our mascot for the show originally. Originally, yes. Oh, I'm going to like this. You're probably going to like it too, but it's an Oakland athletic. It is uh, none other than steroid enthusiast Miguel Tejada. Ah, oh, yes, Miguel. Before we uh, believed any of the Royd stuff, that guy was something else. MVP season for the, mm -hmm. uh, for the mm -hmm. A's. See, what year was that? The, don't tell me it wasn't 2000. Oh, it goes. 2002. Uh, at least that, that helps me a little bit. 16 years in the big league, seven with the good guys, five with Baltimore, and then uh, scattered throughout once he uh, started getting busted for various things. In the year 2000 with Oakland, he hit 275, 30 home runs, 115 RBI, six stolen bases, zero caught stealing. I like to see that. Wow. And a 111 OPS plus. And altogether, that equals a 4.2 war. But since he is a member of the A's, I'm going to minus half a point right there. Take you to 3.7. And uh, nothing else on this card is going to help you out. Well, you know, Miguel now is uh, living comfortably in Florida and has a chicken farm. Oh, well, that's, I mean, I heard that's what he wanted to do his whole career was retire to a chicken farm. Yeah, he's also uh, reportedly filed for bankruptcy. So hopefully the chickens are okay. Yeah, we got to protect the chickens. All right, so uh, you're at 20.3. You've got uh, two cards left. Now, we had this guy just the other day uh, when we were looking at, I think it was 2003 cards. It is here with the Toronto Blue Jays. It's Shannon Stewart. Oh, yeah, we did recently have Shannon Stewart. Well, he's got eye black on, so that'll be uh, that'll be good news for you. Uh, let's see, we went over his numbers just the other day, so we'll just look at the year 2000. He hit 319 with 21 long balls, 69 RBI, 363 on base, and a 118 OPS+. And all of that will equal a 5.0. Very nice. Plus, the eye wow. black is 5.1. 
Very nice. That's a good little kick in the pants there by a former athletic. All right, that'll take us to your last card. I vaguely remember this guy. He's with the Chicago White Sox shortstop Mike Caruso. Um, you're barely remembering beats mine. I don't have any recollection of that name. Mike Caruso, Michael John Caruso. Let's see, three years in the big leagues, two with the White Sox, one with the Royals. Uh, I, it's probably fortunate for you that uh, the year 2000 was not a year in which he played. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. 1999. Uh, wow, he played. He played in in 1999. He played in 133 and 136 games. It appears as if he was the White Sox starting shortstop those two years. Came in third in Rookie of the Year balloting in 98, where he hit 306. Then in 99, he had a little sophomore slump. He hit 250 and led the league and caught stealing with 14 while successfully stealing only 12. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. I think you might have dodged a bullet there and probably didn't end up with a negative. Oh, we have mentioned him before. He's one of the, the names... Uh, of one of the prospects that was traded to the White Sox when the White Sox traded uh, Wilson Alvarez, Danny Darwin, and Roberto Hernandez in the white flag trade. So he came along with Keith Folk, Bobby Howery, Lorenzo Barcelo, and Ken Vining. Uh-huh. So we have mentioned him before. All right, so you've got a 25.4. That's a pretty good score. That's, that's solid right there out of eight cards. Yeah, I feel like we might be falling back into our... Uh, into our old habit of me just not even coming close. I had a good run. We'll see. We'll see. At least we're not doing Remember when we first started, we were using a Beckett and going oh, by yeah. price. Yeah, Everything was, was one cent. It was a choice. All right. So let's open up my pack here. I am going to start off with a, uh, a Florida Marlin and uh, a guy that I think he came up with the Yankees, and if I remember correct, he uh, he plays baseball with one ball, as it is. Mike Lowell. Oh, nice. Or no, yes. I think he came up with the Red Sox, didn't he? I believe so. That's my first thought. I think he played, well, in fact, I know he played for the Yankees as well, but um, no, he came up with the Yankees, 1998. Did he? Yeah. I don't, I, that doesn't so sound you, right. You have to take okay. my first answer. <laughs> That's right. 1998 Yankees. Then he went to Florida in 99. Was that the... Ex- no, 99 wasn't their first year, was it? That wasn't an expansion draft, I don't think. Oh, he was traded to the by the Yankees to the Marlins for Mark Johnson. Oh, that guy's got a cool name. Well, he didn't have a T. So, yeah, he does have a cool name. Yes, we Johnsons are very proud of our T. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, 13 years in the big league, seven with the Marlins, five with Boston, and that eight games with New York in 98. In the year 2000, 140 games, 270 average, 22 home runs, 91 RBI, and a 110 OPS+. Plus. And that equals a 2.2 war. And uh, nothing else on this card is going to get me anything for the two-time World Series winner. And the World Series MVP. Oh, wow. So he was the MVP in 2007 with the Red Sox. Then uh, he won another ring in 2003 with the uh, the Marlins. All right. My next card is an Aussie. Aussie? An, An Aussie. And I remember he's the first Australian baseball player I was aware of. Catcher for the Brewers, Dave Nilsson. Ah, oh, Dave Nilsson, yeah. Let's see, Dave Nilsson from Brisbane, Australia. He went to, he graduated from Kindred State High School, where he is the only, believe it or not, Major League Baseball player to come out of Kedron State High School. Mm. 
Let's see. Uh, eight years in the big leagues, all of it with Milwaukee. He was an all-star once, and that was his final year in 1999. So that tells you <laughs> where my uh, where my points are not going to be coming from. Uh, yeah. After 1999, he went and played in Japan, and then he played in Italy. Oh, nice. He's kind of following the footsteps of uh, Don August there. He, yeah. he just missed uh, Taiwan, though. Yeah, that's not going to help me out at all, though, when he doesn't play in the year 2000. The current manager of the Australian national baseball team and the Brisbane Bandits of the Australian League. Yeah, did you nice. see that uh, Josh Reddick will be playing for the Perth Heat this year? I did not see that. Yeah. No, Josh. Before leaving the professional baseball, he was Australia's second highest earning sportsman behind uh, Saudi sympathizer Greg Norman. Is that what we're going to call him? <laughs> I don't know what else you would call it. I have uh, no comment. Let's see. He is a member of the Order of Australia as well. I don't know if that gets him a sir title like uh, like uh, Bam Bam. I think, it, I think it actually means you get to order before everyone else. Oh, it's you just get to jump thing. to the front of the line in the buffet. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it's still an honor. Of course. All right. Well, so I get nothing there. I'm still at 2.2. Next, I have got a guy that I feel like he just retired last year. Uh, shortstop here for the Expos. Good to see an Expos uniform. Orlando Cabrera. Oh, sure. O-Cab, I remember, because he was on the A's. I also remember he took a long time at the plate. Not a bogey fast mover by any means. Uh, Orlando Cabrera, 15 years in the big leagues, retired in 2011. Yet to me, it seems like he just retired last year. Let's see, most of it with Montreal, eight years there, and then he played just about everywhere else. In 2000, for the Expos, he hit 237, 13 home runs, 55 RBI, a 66 OPS plus. Uh, this is going the way of the old games. And he, okay, a minus .9 war. Now, wow. <laughs> this is, that hurts. Yeah, that does not help me. That might be the lowest. Uh, I don't, have we ever had a, over a minus .1? I don't know. Well, he's getting close. Know. Yeah, that's not Isn't cool. Is there an online database of... Uh... Oh, well, yeah, I can look it up, <laughs> sure. But... <laughs> Come on, what, what, what about that uh, that December show we did in uh, 2020? I think we had one then. It oh, should be on the database yeah, online. Yeah. Our fans will let us know. Uh, yeah. Let's see. What a World Series with Boston in 2004 when uh, Jimmy Fallon was on the field celebrating. Uh, let's see. What else we got? Okay, well, I like this. In, in uh, 2010, Cabrera spent, uh, he was on the D, the DL at that point. He spent one game as a bat boy, in full bat boy uniform, taking balls to the umpire and collecting bats. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I applaud him for that. That's very Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. That is awesome. What, <laughs> this is, uh, I'm not sure this is a fun fact, but here it says uh, Cabrera, a Colombian national, is now a naturalized U.S. citizen, uh, but because he's a Colombian national, has faced extra scrutiny when traveling through customs due to Colombia's <laughs> reputation for drug trafficking. <laughs> yeah, been there. What, who in the <laughs> heck writes that and adds that on? To right, I don't know. But I can tell you this. I went to Colombia to shoot a horror film. The next time I went to Canada, they pulled me out of line and asked me a lot of questions. Well, so. Let's be honest. I mean, I've seen you. I'm pulling you out, too. Every time. <laughs> Every time. I'm surprised you get into the stadium without extra security. <laughs> All right. Next point. If one of us would have picked the Diamondbacks, we would have been doing really well here. This guy, uh, I remember, I think his best years were definitely with the Cardinals. Here he is with the D-backs. Bernard Gilkey. 
Innocent. Oh, man, I used to love Gilkey. Innocent until proven guilty. Yes. Now, I didn't say he was one of my favorite players, so you can't make fun of me, but I used to love that guy. I was just so proud that I got that nickname out before you did. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was in too gung-ho to talk about how he wasn't my favorite. You got me, you know, all worried about that now. I actually have to make a list and stuff. Uh, let's see. 12 years in the big league, six with the Cardinals, three with the D-backs, three with the Mets, and then one with Atlanta and Boston. In the year 2000, he split it between Arizona and Boston. And, God. 177 average, three home runs, 15 RBI, a 37 OPS plus, and uh, a, (laughs) well, I just ask if anybody had ever had a minus one or worse year. (laughs) (laughs) With the Diamondbacks alone, he had a minus 1.0, and then with the Red Sox for the last part of the season, a minus 0.1. So that is a minus 1.1. Ouch. Ouch. And uh, that will take me down to a total of 0.2. This is, it's like the the Wax Packs gods have realized that I was winning. And they're like, what what the heck is going on here? And they snapped their fingers. Who hasn't been watching this? (laughs) Yeah, they snapped their fingers and I'm right back in it. Oh, wow. Gilkey had a small role in the 1997 film Men in Black. At the end of the film, it took place in Flushing Meadows near Shea Stadium, and Gilkey appeared in his real-life role as a Mets outfielder. He was distracted by a massive spaceship above Shea and was hit on the head by a fly ball. <laughs> they should have gotten Jose Canseco for that role. That would have been good. Yes, the guys, I mean, he's perfect for it, obviously. He's got experience. Exactly. All right. Okay. Hey, I got a Hall of Famer. Hey, yeah, this could this could be big. Yeah, it's a divisional playoff highlight, and it is Petey Pedro Martinez. Very nice. The Red Sox. So this, I'm gonna guess that I am not gonna have a minus here. I'm going out on a limb. <laughs> Probably not. No. Let's see. Petey or Pedro El Grande. I never heard that one before. 18 years in the big league. Seven with Boston. Four with the Mets. Four with Montreal. Two with the Dodgers, and then that final half a season with the Phillies. Let's see. Three-time Cy Young Award winner, Hall of Fame, eight-time All-Star, member of the 2004 World Series Red Sox. In 2000, good news for me, Cy Young Award and All-Star. Woo! Uh-oh. Uh, he came in fifth in the MVP voting. I might just beat you with this one card. That's what I'm you looking might. for. You might. 18 and 6 mark with a 1.74 ERA, four shutouts, seven complete games, 217 innings, 128 hits allowed, struck out 284 to lead the league, and had a lead leaguing, a lead leaguing, a league leading 291 ERA plus. Very nice. Wow. All of that together equals a 9.7. Ooh, wow. <laughs> wow. I'm, I might half your total with just Pedro here. Let's see. So 9.7. He's a Hall of Famer. So that's a 10.7. He won the Cy Young Award and was an all-star. So that's another point. So that's 11.7. Very nice. Wow. So I went from 0.2 to 11.9. I think that that's, I'm back <laughs> that's on track. Good. I'm back on track. <laughs> Just to be disappointed again here, no doubt. All right, we don't need to talk about Pedro. We've talked about him plenty of times. I got four cards left. Uh, I can guarantee you I was in the in the park when this card was shot. I can promise you. It is, uh, it's a day game at Turner Field. 
And it would have been in 1999 that they uh, they took this shot. It is pitcher for the Dodgers, Kevin Brown. Oh, nice. Boy, he was, for a decade, man, this guy was, was one of the best. Absolutely. Kevin Brown, six-time All-Star member of the 1997 Marlins, who won the World Series. 19 years in the big leagues, eight with Texas, five with the Dodgers, and then a bunch of other teams. In the year 2000, good news, he was an All-Star and led the league with a 2.58 ERA. Went 13 and six, 230 innings, only 181 hits. That's oh. impressive. His whip as a starter was 0.99. That's ridiculous. He he had a better year in 1996. His whip was 0.944. Wow. <sighs> that is incredible. Came in sixth in the Cy Young vote. A, let's see, 216 strikeouts and a 167 ERA plus, And that will equal a five, oh, I'm sorry, a 7.0 war. What? Plus he was an all-star. Your pitching staff is too good. Yeah, so that is a 7.5. Is there a bonus for me having been in the stadium when the picture was taken? Hold on, I got to check the rules. No. Yeah, shoot. All right. Well, yeah, I, I looked them over. That'll take me up to 19.4. And all of a sudden, with three cards left, I am only six points behind you. Oi. Breathing Look down out. your neck. Yeah. All right, my next card. Oh, I like this guy. He, he follows us on Twitter, which is cool. Uh, he is also a certified agent now. It is uh, here with the Red Sox. It is Reggie Jefferson. Oh, nice. The first professional baseball player I ever spoke to or interviewed, I guess. That's pretty awesome. Just called up the team hotel and asked for Reggie Jefferson. They put me right through. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Reggie Jefferson, nine years in the big leagues, five with Boston, three with Cleveland. Uh, unfortunately for me, Reggie's done me dirty. His oh. final game was in 1999. Reginald Gerard Jefferson. Uh, let's see. In those nine years, though, he played for Boston for five, Cleveland for three. 300 even career average for his uh, nine years. That's pretty good. 72 home runs, 300 RBI, and a 112 OPS+. plus. Oh, we were number 42 when he first came up with the with the Reds. Very nice. Uh, he was given a nickname by the Red Sox faithful. He was called the Miracle because he was unable to hit left-handed pitchers. <laughs> and so if we ever got a hit off a lefty, it was a miracle. That's terrible, but funny. That, that is not... It's, it is funny. It's not cool. But. All right, next, uh, second to last card. Uh, we've had this guy before. Uh, newscaster now in Atlanta. It's just so weird that he is now presenting news nightly. Here he is with the Phillies. I like to think of him as athletic. It's Ron Gant. Oh, definitely. I mean, when you think of Ron Gant, you think Oakland A's. Oh, right. I don't think Braves at all. No, no, no. no. I think of Kent Herbeck is what I think of. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Boy, Ron Gant was just a thick dude. Mm -hmm. Looked like he could uh, do some damage. 16 years in the big league, seven with Atlanta, three with St. Louis, two with the Phillies, two with my guys in Oakland. Uh, two different stints with Oakland, even. In 2000, he split time between Philadelphia and the Angels. I have zero recollection of him with the Angels. Hmm. At all. Uh, yeah, o- overall, hit 249 that year, 26 home runs, 54 RBI, and a 106 OPS+. And that will equal, oh, I like this. It is a 2.1. Nothing. I, I can't tell if he's got a mustache. I don't, he usually did. Oh, wait, Reggie Jefferson's got a mustache, though. 
Okay, so I'll I'll tack that on here. So a a two point one plus a mustache will be a two point two. Oh. That'll take me up to twenty one point six heading into my final card. Very close right now. Yeah. Let's see. Gant, a member of the thirty thirty club in ninety and ninety one. Very nice. Turned down a uh, football scholarship. Was recruited to play in at Texas and Oklahoma. Wow. Wow. The only back to back members of the thirty thirty club are Ron Gant, Bobby Bonds, and Willie Mays. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Oh, boy. Now, I have never heard this before, but it must be discussed. In 1992, Gant was involved in a bar fight in Georgia with Connie Mack IV, the great-grandson of the original Connie Mack. Mack suffered a broken ankle in the fight, but a jury ultimately found that Gant was not responsible for Mack's injuries. (laughs) Okay. Connie Mack's uh, great-grandson out there getting into brawls with outfielders. Yeah. What's going on here? Wow. And listen to this. Uh, Gant and his wife in 2005 assisted the uh, attorney general's office of Georgia in a sting operation, which resulted in the arrest of six different people for charges related to mortgage fraud. Whoa. Look at this guy. He's out there punching out great grandsons of Hall of Famers. He's setting up guys in sting operations and he's presenting the news. (laughs) <laughs> he's got it all man he's got he is it all. a renaissance man if i've ever seen one all right final card of the of the pack i am at 21.6 you finished at 25.4 and i got a guy that did nothing but produce in the in the 1990s and 2000s we're not going to talk about what he did after after his career but uh here he is first baseman for the cubs mark grace the amazing one yes Todd Hilton, by the way, wore, I believe, the number 17 in honor of Mark Grace, his favorite player. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Mark Grace, a.k.a. Little Hurt. Okay. I think I mention that every time because, of course, Big Hurt was on the south side at that point. 16-year career for Mark, 13 with the Cubs, three with the Diamondbacks. I'm not getting prime Mark Grace here. I'm getting a 36-year-old in his final year with the Cubs. He hit 280. 41 doubles, 11 home runs, 82 RBI, a 280 average, 394 on base, and a 111 OPS plus. I am not sure if Mark Grace is going to get me four points of war or not. This is going to be close, I think. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Now, uh, 2000, <laughs> 3.1. <laughs> he's got eye black and he's got a mustache. He's got a goatee. But that's still oh. only good for 3.3. Oh, and that'll take me to 24.9, half a point of war. Let me go Dude. through these cards one more time and just see if I'm missing anything. <laughs> it's too late, man. <laughs> uh, just did anybody win an award that I didn't count or or anything? Uh, Pedro's got a wispy mustache, but <laughs> I don't think that's going to. two-pointer, pal. No, <sighs> just dang it. All right, so that, let's you, look at what. You were completely out of it at one point, man, and then look at the comeback. I, my guys put up some fight, but unfortunately now if we look at the scoreboard, I am at seven wins and you are now at six. So that sucks. <sighs> well, you know, sometimes they're blowouts and sometimes they're close games, man. It's just the way baseball is. All right. So that'll wrap up this uh, edition of Wax Packs Heroes. Mark, congratulations. Hey, if uh, you want more of us, uh, you can find us all over the place. We're on social media. You can find us at Two Strike Noise, Twitter, Instagram, all of those kind of places, YouTube, 
uh, all that kind of stuff. Also, we've got an email address that a lot of people have been using. Mark likes to uh, hoard those emails and then just kind of give them to me in little spurts. But uh, Mark, right. you want to tell them where that I is? I just can't take all of the stuff that you guys send on email. No, yeah, you can write to us at, uh, what is it again? Oh, yeah, Two Strike Noise. T-W-O, strike noise at gmail.com. That's right. All right, Mark, this was fun. Uh, a lot of umpire talk on my end. I apologize for that. I also want to apologize for the uh, the effort that my, my this, the top of my lineup put out there mm, in Wax Wax Heroes. But let's do this again next week. What do you say? Yeah, I'm in. What the heck? All right. Then we'll see everybody here again next week on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye.